Hi everybody, welcome back to Childhood History and Critique. I'm Pat Ryan and this time I have a conversation with Karen Smith, who is lecturer at the Dublin Institute of Technology and at University College Dublin. Karen is a social policy expert and the author of the recent book, The Government of Childhood, Discourse, Power, and Subjectivity. Our conversation was recorded in February of 2015 and focuses on her recent book, which is a synthesis of three broad strands of scholarly endeavor, including the governmentality studies inspired by Michel Foucault, the new sociology of childhood, particularly the works of Chris Jenks, and a vast range of efforts in the history of childhood, political theology, and the history of ideas. I was particularly interested in asking Karen about the creative tensions between these bodies of thought and the way they frame her synthetic work. I hope you enjoy the conversation as much as I did. Take care. C- congratulations on your book. Oh, thank you so much. Uh, I, um, I finished it last night. Wow. You're <laughs> one of the few people who's read it all at this stage. <laughs> Yeah, what a, what an enormous amount of work, you know, becoming competent in three massive chunks of, of literature in terms of the sociology of the child, uh, Foucauldian thought, historical literature too, which are in some ways, all three of them can be like ships passing in the night. Um, I felt like it was like a, a modest enough contribution, you know. But uh, yeah, it was a, it was a wonderful experience. I really enjoyed writing the book so much, and now it's really nice to have an opportunity to talk about it with you today. It's great. Um, well, you're just fearless. That brings me to really to my first question, which is I just sure. want to I want to begin with with your intellectual life and journey, and and what can you tell us about the story that produced the government of childhood. Um, I suppose I've been plowing this kind of field for a really long time. Um, in terms of thinking about where it began, I, I guess my, my interest initially in child policy, I mean, I probably think of like reading like Dickens novels when I was a teenager and uh, just being really fascinated by that period in history. Um, and then when I became a mother myself, which I did at a fairly young age, um, I wasn't long graduated um, from college, just with my undergraduate degree. Um, and I just became, I suppose, incredibly aware of the impact of all of these different social policies on my life and my child's life. And around that time, I my primary degree had been in law, and I kind of switched over to the social sciences. Um, and I was just studying a little bit when my, my daughter was young and came across Foucault's ideas then around mm-hmm. power and discourse. Um, and they just resonated with me so much. Um, so that when it came time for me to engage in, in graduate study, um, those were the, the two kind of key things I was bringing with me, you know, kind of a very strong interest in child policy and a, a very strong interest in kind of Foucault's ideas around power and discourse without having explored them deeply at that stage. Um, and uh, I suppose the, the initial journey with the book is really coming out of my, my doctoral research, which focused on discourses of child policy in Ireland. Okay. Um, and it was through doing that that I just became really interested in Foucault's 
writings on governmentality and just really struck by the links he was making between the government of the state and the government of children and he's really highlighting that as such an important idea but yet it's not one that he's overtly exploring too much in his own work you know I mean it's there and it's a theme but uh, I suppose I kind of wanted to bring that out a bit more you know in, in this particular book and I was also drawing quite heavily on, on Chris Jenks, the, the sociologist of childhood, yes. um, and his ideas <clears throat> around the Dionysian and Apollonian ideas of childhood. And obviously that's a kind of very familiar motif. Mm-hmm. But the way he, he uses them to make that contrast between the evil, sensual, wild child and the, the good and the innocent child. And again, I suppose they're ideas that probably aren't massively elaborated in Jenks' work, but... He's, he certainly had written enough on this to kind of really pique my interest and he's linking this to Foucault but I, I really wanted to explore that a bit more and I suppose kind of from having delved into the governmentality literature a lot felt I could build on Jenks's two models and you know, I introduced a third one, the Athenian child Yes. kind of based on my own obviously my own engagement with the kind of contemporary literature on the government of childhood and then my own research on the Irish um, child policy as well, like contemporary child policy. The idea, I suppose, of the, the self-governing child is what I was trying to kind of encapsulate with the, the Athenian child, the idea of kind of children being responsible and I suppose linking back to Foucault's ideas around kind of power and freedom being so inextricably intertwined mm-hmm. and how that kind of problematizes kind of ideas around kind of the child as a social actor and the agentive child mm-hmm. um, who's also a target of power. Um, you know, so, I mean, those ideas were just so interesting to me. So it was just wonderful just to kind of explore them in a bit more depth. And that's what I was really doing with this book. Uh-huh. Well, let me ask some specific questions. You begin with the creation of the modern state or the birth of biopolitics, which Foucault and many others actually have have. Uh, unfolded modern childhood how do you see or how does your book position the creation of modern ideas about childhood relative to the creation of the modern state and biopolitics um in a way i'm probably following relatively well-worn paths as such you know because i'm i'm obviously drawing very much from foucault's ideas and then historians of childhood and philosophers as well I mean, I suppose kind of the the Foucauldian sort of literature very much focuses on the micro, um, you know, so it's 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 looking at I suppose kind of disciplinary power and uh, I suppose kind of the transformation of disciplinary power in the early modern period, the you know kind of the I suppose increasing kind of individualization that that Foucault very much associates with uh, disciplinary power and I suppose the school obviously is very much highlighted in the Foucauldian literature as you know kind of one of the the disciplinary institutions par excellence. So, I mean, it was interesting to kind of go through the the micro level with schooling and pedagogical practice and and look at how that kind of uh, developed and shifted in the early modern period. Um, And I suppose kind of Foucault pays a huge amount of attention to the writings of De La Salle and the the De La Salle schools in France. So kind of picked up on, on that and explored kind of De La Salle's writings a little bit more in terms of the exercise of pedagogical power there. Um, I mean, in terms of that link, um, I guess 
guess, you know, you kind of one big question to it, kind of how do we kind of reconcile the potential conflicts between the individual and what the individual wants and, you know, what's perceived to be in the, for the greater good of the, the wider society as such. Mm-hmm. And I suppose that point in the early modern period is one, you know, around the 16th century, kind of Foucault is kind of highlighting, well, that question became really live again at that time for a couple of different reasons and you know I suppose you have pedagogical problem as he refers to it you know kind of being raised um, and then obviously the work of um, Philippe Aries is really important here as well in terms of highlighting that kind of uh, problematization of children's education and uh, a more kind of disciplinary approach and emphasis on kind of moral training and mm-hmm. kind of uh, that greater emphasis on the malleability of childhood kind of that we see at that time. I, I suppose kind of taken like you from, from Chris Jenks was really interested in Hobbes probably one of the most important people who's ever responded to that question in terms of how do we reconcile, you know, kind of individual desire and and the, the, the greater good, if you like. Yeah, and, and one value of using the <coughs> Dionysian Apollonian dialectic is that is that the kind of the image of the child that is the cardinal feature of Enlightenment rationalism is something I would call the well well conditioned child. The other side of that is the fear of the irrational child. So that rationalism actually has a picture of the child that's the inverse of the rational. That is chaos. And 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 the romantics who are producing the Apollonian child are their cardinal feature is the sen- you know sense and sensibility. It's 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 the sensuous and it's the embrace of the fuller humanity. But of course, their picture of the child is Apollonian means logos. It means rational in the, in its original roots. So what we have here in this dialectic between the Apollonian or the romantic res- response to enlightenment rationalism is this sort of coupling that requires each other. They actually, they they sort of make each other buoyant. And that, and that, and that, but all of that, for, for all of that to center on this universal category, like a child, right? All that to be impacted in such an earthy thing as the child, you'd need to use Agamben's terms building on Foucault, you'd need to make bare life political. And that's sort of Foucault's insight in The Birth of Biopolitics. And in, it's not so much that this is an answer, but it's a framework, right? Yeah. For, for, seeing, for seeing what's happening in the mod, early modern period or with the birth of a modern notion of childhood, to see it as within power dynamics rather than an, a break away from the problem of power. Exactly. Um, and uh, it, it is striking that we're, you know, I suppose over the last few decades, we're, we're back to liberating <laughs> the child again. <laughs> Which comes to my question, why do you choose the name Athenian child? Where does that come from? And is one thing you don't talk about is the, you may mention it, but it's not something you deal with uh, in detail, is the counterpart to pastoral power in Foucault's theorizing is the city citizenship game. Yeah, I couldn't help but I couldn't help but connect it to since the city citizenship game is Athenian. Um, whether or not there was any forethought along those lines, or you have some other source of coining that. Um, um, I guess the, the 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 kind of the the 
term is coming from the, the goddess Athena as opposed to the, the city, but obviously they're very closely connected. But uh, um, the, the reason that I chose kind of Athenian um, was because of, I suppose, kind of uh, the goddess Athena being kind of, I suppose, having skipped childhood in a way. She was born as an adult, kind yeah. of emerged, kind of emerging, from kind of fully, fully, fully formed exactly from uh, from the forehead. Um, so, kind of that idea of the responsible, kind of wise, kind of child seemed to kind of resonate a lot with the the goddess Athena as such. Yeah. And um, so that's kind of where that kind of terminology was coming from. Such. Uh... <laughs> Is the Athenian child as a construct? designed as a critique of the so-called new sociology of the child? Not so much the new sociology of the child itself, but perhaps, and I suppose this is generally the point that's made in the governmentality literature, just the way that those ideas can be taken up. And I, I guess that was a point that I was kind of making, you know, kind of that we've had these ideas around salvation of the child for a really long time. And they're really strongly linked to the idea of the malleability of the child, futurity, potentiality. You know, and they've been around for a really long time and, you know, kind of going right back, you know, 15th century and when they became incredibly important with, you know, kind of the, the emergence of uh, new ways of thinking about political power and, and, and kind of the, the kind of rise of the pedagogical discourse, that kind of theme of malleability and potentiality has been so important. Mm -hmm. And I suppose the way I've kind of put it is it's kind of just really easy then for d discourses around kind of children's agency to kind of get colonized, you know, kind of or taken up mm -hmm. within discursive strategies that are rooted in salvation and malleability and potentiality. So it's not necessarily a critique of the sociology of childhood, which I found kind of very stimulating and interesting. But perhaps, I suppose, kind of there's a neglect, you know, kind of in some of the sociology of childhood literature in terms of that link between freedom and agency and the exercise of power. I think there's probably maybe a political naivety in some of this literature and as you were saying it's it's incredibly difficult for us to disentangle ourselves from you know kind of relations of power knowledge at any particular point in time is something that's incredibly challenging to do and I, I guess, you know, kind of the whole kind of project around kind of the sociology of childhood and, and liberating the child really, I suppose, you know, kind of there are obviously going to be incredibly real dangers there. Um, it just even in terms of that idea of, of you know, liberating the child and, and what liberalization means in Western culture and, you know, kind of particularly in the United States, um, but increasingly in Europe as well. Kind of in, in terms of kind of the, the big ideas here at the moment around social policy, they're all very much rooted in activation and individual responsibility for self-improvement, um, you know, kind of, and obviously things like lifelong learning, etc. But that idea of activation um, is incredibly important. Um, and certainly, as you say, I mean, that idea of the competent agent of child, I mean, it's it's so linked into, you know, kind of that older and still incredibly potent sort of discourse around kind of individual responsibility, um, you know, kind of the the... I suppose kind of the, the need to be self-reliant, to be autonomous. What the new sociology of childhood hasn't done is kind of help us escape very far from the kind of liberal model of subjectivity as such. Um, it's challenging it, yeah. but not to the extent that it doesn't represent perhaps 
a serious enough challenge to it, or some of it anyway. It's still very much rooted in kind of uh, a model of children's rights that's grounded in kind of liberal theory. And I suppose as Foucault is warning us, you know, kind of that linkage between kind of sovereignty and rights, it's underpinned by disciplinary and biopolitical power. Um, and the way that disciplinary and biological power are exercised in modern Western societies, or I shouldn't probably use modern in that sense, but you know what I mean, um, in contemporary Western societies is obviously very, very heavily influenced by kind of neoliberal ideas around individual choice, responsibility, self-reliance, etc. And, 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 and these things are very florid in our world. I mean, this isn't just high theory and philosophy. Yeah. United States military figured out after Vietnam very quickly that they could be a much stronger force if they got rid of the draft. So coercion, yeah. moving away from the coercive policy was a solution to their problem of discipline. The draft is absolutely not as effective as slogans like, be all you can be. Or join an army of one. And the power of those hyper individualistic phrases can be wrapped into a system where the will of the individual <laughs> has been obliterated. Any, any talk of the sovereignty of the individual has to confront that paradox. And I guess these are young people who from a very, very early age would have been I would have learned to consider themselves engaged in a battle engaged in a competitive race isn't it you know um in terms of how our education systems and schooling not all but you know kind of there is that I think kind of thrust in in contemporary educational policy more so than in the past um, related to neoliberalism that, you know, kind of in, encourages people to see themselves as an army of one um, mm -hmm. in terms of how they're engaging with their kind of educational goals and what's expected of them. Um, you know, kind of, I, I do kind of love that kind of Foucauldian phrase that the entrepreneurial self um, and uh, I just you know kind of that he drew from Gary Becker and and how potent that is uh, you know kind of in terms of uh, helping us think about kind of I suppose kind of how we're asked to relate to ourselves um, to a large extent and how children are asked to relate to themselves um, and obviously kind of relate to others today and uh, um, I suppose I, I wouldn't have kind of your familiarity, obviously, with kind of the, the military, um, but in terms of thinking about how kind of that kind of way of thinking about yourself kind of informs educational policy, and but just how young people actually engage with the education system, I find that incredibly worrying, and I think it kind of feeds into um, what you're talking about in, well, in terms of the military. There's no, there's no doubt. I mean, the military... Perhaps I should disclose I'm a veteran, so I, I know I know, yeah. I know this from personal experience. But the, the military is a completely bizarre place, but not if you've been to school. It's yeah. totally familiar if you've been <laughs> to school. You know exactly how to act. All the bells and weapons, all the techniques are the same. The way we are implicated in this is much more difficult than posting a flag for the liberation of the individual. I think it's a really good illustration of how we can probably really only understand one set of discourses in terms of the context and the conversation that it's that set of discourses actually engaged in. And certainly, you know, kind of the, the new or a lot of the new sociology of childhood did 
you know, emerge in direct response to socialization theory and that kind of developmental perspective that was, you know, kind of uh, imported in from developmental psychology. Um, but, you know, it, it, it was able to challenge those ideas without kind of challenging the idea of there being, I suppose, kind of this essence of childhood in a way that could mm -hmm. be liberated, you know, so we're kind of haven't moved away from essentialism. The governmentality literature, I do feel, kind of allows us maybe to take a more kind of intersectional kind of type approach and also one that uh, facilitates kind of uh, a much more sophisticated analysis of the kinds of power relations that are involved um, in terms of the, the, the government of childhood as such. Um, but, you know, kind of obviously there, there are other approaches. That was the one that resonated kind of most, most with me. Well, thank you for joining Childhood History and Critique. Oh, that's great. And it's wonderful to have such kind of considered engagement with the book when it's on you as well. So, no, I really, really appreciate that. Um, and it was really good to, to get your, your perspective on it. So thanks so much for that. And uh, we'll be in touch then. We'll be in touch. Take care, Karen. Uh, you too. Thanks again. Bye-bye now. Bye. You've been listening to A Conversation with Karen Smith on Childhood History and Critique for the Society for the History of Children and Youth.